I often see videos talking about the best browsers and how some browsers are supposed to be better than others. I will let you in on an uncommonly known fact. Browsers are full of privacy and security risks, some of which we do not have control over and some we do. Many of the risky things I will mention today are not generally known and some of these features were built supposedly for your protection or for your convenience. But often they bring huge risks to your privacy. That's the problem with people who are supposedly in cybersecurity. They build features for cybersecurity but ignore privacy. These are two different things. Let me educate you on the dangers of browsers that you should at least be aware of. There are no foolproof solutions to prevent what I will talk about, but my real-life approach at the end of the video should provide a good mitigation of these risks. Stay right there. Let me tell you a real-life encounter I had with the evils of web workers. Now, I'm a programmer, so I've written code with service workers before, which is a subset of web workers. But I didn't realize how this can be used to destroy our privacy initially. I have a Google phone, which, as I've explained in multiple videos, is typically a device that is Google-free. It is invisible to Google and cannot normally be connected to a Google ID. I was doing testing and connected to a browser on the phone. I forget which browser I used, but maybe Chromium. And I went to Gmail and signed in with my Google ID. Then I signed off Gmail and completely forgot about this. Months later, I went to the Google security page and saw that Google recognized my de-Google phone and had my location. Obviously, this was a huge concern. That's when I realized that something was still running on the browser and I immediately remembered web workers. Web workers are JavaScript code that run in the background on a browser and is not connected to any UI. So basically, this web worker was pinging Google constantly with an HTTP request and then sending my IP address and location. The problem with web workers is that they get installed by any website and they persist. If you turn off your device and turn it back on, the web worker will restart. The solution here, by the way, is to clear cookies, and this clears the web worker process. But if you forget to clear cookies after using a browser, expect that the web worker will continue to ping the website with your data. Here's one of those features that's developed by some cybersecurity committee, and obviously with no representation from privacy experts. This feature is called HSTS, HTTP Strict Transport Security. The point to this security feature is that some bad player is prevented from downgrading a connection from HTTPS to HTTP. The trick here is that if your connection is changed to HTTP, then the encryption would be eliminated. This is supposed to be implemented by the host website by placing a header in the web page that enables HSTS. When this happens, a super cookie is created in the browser, and this then enforces HTTPS at the browser side. This supposedly, if someone alters the code of the website to switch to HTTP, then the browser will forcibly switch it back to HTTPS, thus preventing data from flowing unencrypted. Not sure what this is supposed to solve. A website 
that can implement this header to do HSTS could also just disable HTTP at the server and would be pretty simple to do without any external manipulation. The problem with this HSTS super cookie is that it cannot be deleted on the browser side. That's why it's called a super cookie. Whoever invented this has no concern about privacy at all. So let me repeat this. If HSDS is enabled by a site, then you cannot delete the cookies using the usual clear cookies procedure on the browser. There's a complex way to clear HSDS on some browsers, but no easy way to even know which cookies are super cookies. Thus, it is not easy to defeat. The major risk of an undeletable cookie is that your identity then becomes permanent and the website is always able to check your past data. The worst part is that third parties that want to track you can actually have a very good way to identify you using a technique called browser fingerprinting. Since HSDS super cookies are non-deletable, then they are a good identity tracker just based on the collection of HSDS super cookies on your browser. And this then will uniquely identify your browser even if you haven't entered a name or any other identifier on a website. In other words, this is like installing a PERMA tracker on your browser. I will discuss browser fingerprinting and trackers later, but this is just a special evil that I want to mention. Autofill is considered a convenience to many of you using a browser. You enter your name and address on a site, and the browser then remembers that information and stores it. Then if you see another website asking for name and address, it will autofill that data. Autofill is also typically used with browser password managers that can log you into websites, and this is something I never do. There are two dangers here. My cousin came by and asked to borrow my computer. Apparently he wanted to go to E-Trade and initiate some transactions since he was far from home. Okay, no problem. Then when he left, I saw that he went to E-Trade. I clicked on it and it auto-logged me into his account and I saw his transactions and could initiate my own transactions on his account. So that's problem number one, which is obvious. Problem number two, I consider to be a hack. Any website can pop a field to accept name and address and that of course would be pre-filled in with your information without your consent. In JavaScript, this data can be captured before you press save or OK or any confirmation button. To prove this point, I did a test website on Braxme slash Geo where I not only capture information from autofill, but I hid it so it was not displayed on the browser. In other words, I could harvest autofill data without your knowledge. Solution is to never enable autofill or password managers on any browser. Many people are completely unaware of how browser extensions work and because of this are very cavalier about installing so many extensions. Some purposely enable extensions without consideration of any privacy risks. Here's a common example. People install a Grammarly browser extension. What is Grammarly? Well, it is a language AI that reads your type text and then will modify it for better grammar. 
there are already multiple dangerous elements here. One is that a remote AI is involved in capturing the data that you type and analyzing your content. Second, an extension is able to see your browser page content. The technical term for this is the DOM, or basically the entire content of the browser as loaded by any website. So if you're on Google Docs and typing a document, Google can obviously see your document. That, at least, is not a mystery. But now, the Grammarly AI can also read your document. Wow, really smart move. And this is the kind of thing that many young people consider acceptable interactions on the internet. I use Grammarly as an example here because this is an obvious and sanctioned snatching of your data, sanctioned by the user. However, any extension can, in theory, capture your content without your permission to pass it to the host site. In other words, it could be a man in the middle. So my general advice is to avoid extensions if you have a choice. Dangerous extensions are those that intercept what you do, like shopping extensions that supposedly find cheaper products on Amazon or something. What else are these extensions doing? Now here's a specific one that's a cybersecurity risk. It is pretty easy to make code in HTML that could initiate auto-downloading on your device. And I mean auto-downloading without confirmation, so it can be done without your knowledge. This in itself is not an immediate danger. Many years ago, browsers have blocked downloading of files that have extensions that can be executed, like for example, exe or bat files on Windows. So from a cybersecurity point of view, a direct download of malware is harder. However, it is still possible to download files that are not named exe or bat. For example, browsers will auto-download binary files as long as the file name is txt. This could be executable code, just with the wrong extension. A hacker could then trick you through some other process, perhaps some innocuous download, to look for these particular files on your download folder and rename them back to exe or bat. Your antivirus will not detect any of this because each step is very partitioned into very limited actions. But in combination, they can be very dangerous. Solution here is to always look at your default downloads folder for your browser and delete content in there that you do not recognize. This is something new now. Google keeps track of all the websites you visit and then classifies your interests. These are then recorded on your browser under a category called Google Ad Topics. Now, we already know Google tracks everything you do, so this is no big surprise. In fact, what Google does is so extensive that everything you do on the internet can be attributed to a Google ID. What is different about the topics issue is that this enables any third party to see your Google assigned topics. Again, let me be clear here, if this hasn't sunk in. Any website you go to, any, can examine your topics list to see what your interests are. Now, the good news is that Google limits the categories that appear in your topics, so it is not so revealing. For example, if you are deep into politics and have a particular political side, though an interest in news events may be visible, it should not reveal specifically which political side you're on. Thank goodness for small favors. Still, it is a privacy invasion since Google makes something 
about you known to third parties and you didn't specifically accept this. The whole intent of the Google Ad Topics is related to Google's attempt to limit tracking by third parties using the technique called browser fingerprinting, which I will discuss next. They wanted to give advertisers some data so that they stop being more aggressive with tracking users themselves. But though Google has limited the amount of detail shown in topics, that in itself is a big negative to advertisers. They don't feel that ad topics give them enough granularity in tracking, so the result, I think, is that topics will reveal some data and advertisers will continue to do some sort of tracking to get even more information. So far, Topics is only implemented on Chrome. You can disable Topics in settings in Chrome. Add Topics is found in Chrome settings under Privacy and Security, Add Privacy, and there's a checkbox for Add Topics. I have mine enabled so I can see what they're doing. And this is what is tracked so far on mine. Now, I have a very specific procedure I teach to protect yourself on browsers, and it affects what Google sees in my ad topics, so don't miss that at the end. Browser fingerprinting is a collection of techniques used by third-party ad tech companies to identify users and their movements around the Internet. This tracking is focused on something called non-deterministic tracking which means there is no actual known identifier to have a 100% identity match. Just to contrast this to deterministic tracking, if you logged in with a Google ID or a Facebook ID and that is known to the website, then your identity is firmly known and thus what you can do can be recorded and attributed to your identity. But browser fingerprinting enables any external party like a company or any website to identify you in some way without actually asking for your name or some user ID or have you log in. And worse, this tracking can occur cross-site, meaning an ad company can track most of the websites you visit and that can then reveal a bit about what you are about. Just some obvious ones are if someone can track, if you go to sites like CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, Rumble, Gab, Truth Social, one can pretty much pinpoint your political side. Now, Google is attempting to block a lot of this in the future by limiting what a site can use as browser fingerprinting data. A browser reveals a lot of information like computer model, color capabilities, screen capabilities, extensions, IP addresses, time zones, HSTS sites, and so on that have previously been proven to uniquely identify people. But Google will have problems here. For one, the incentive to stop browser fingerprinting is for those parties to use ad topics instead. I've already discussed that. Ad tech companies do not feel that topics give enough granularity. Also, Google Topics is on Chrome only, and their future browser fingerprinting block techniques will only be on Chrome. Additionally, I already mentioned issues with HSTS super cookies and extensions, so there are multiple ways to bypass whatever Google does with respect to browser fingerprinting. My guess is that browser fingerprinting in all its forms will not disappear, and tracking will continue by both Google and third parties. What we need is a method to mitigate the risk of all these players. What I will introduce to you 
is a procedure I've used for a long time. I've discussed this on social media for around eight years. The technique is known to my regular followers and it is called browser isolation. Let me explain how browser isolation can reduce the risk of browser privacy risks. First, the way browser isolation works is by isolating the most dangerous internet parties and that's Google and Facebook. Unlike all other parties, Google and Facebook have a unique ability to pass their identity information about you in a cross-site manner, meaning they are able to see your Google ID even when you're not in a Google site, for example. These two parties are part of the deterministic tracking group. For Google, this tracking infrastructure is from Google Analytics and Google Ads, which are installed in most websites. For Facebook, it is the Facebook Like button, which is also similarly installed in many websites. I don't use Facebook and I don't want you to use it either, so my approach is Google-centric, at least in this example. I use Chrome for Google, but I use it for Google only, logged in, logged into YouTube. So Google can spy on me all at once. It has all the trackers, Google ID, my YouTube channel info, and so on. But I will not go to any other website on Chrome. Google already tracks me completely, so I don't have to worry about browser fingerprinting with them. Then I have two to three other browsers, depending on the device. Typically, I might use Chromium, Brave, and Firefox as secondary browsers. I might use Brave for most of my internet activity, like going to Amazon, going to news sites, and normal browsing and search. On Brave, I do not use Google anything. No Google search, no Google logins ever, and no Google sites. This limits what any other website can track with browser fingerprinting since the data is partitioned. For example, my actions would never be associated with a Google ID. Now, to limit what third-party trackers can track, I split my activities in other browsers. For example, if I need to watch YouTube videos on sensitive topics without logging in, I might do that on Firefox. This kind of data partitioning then prevents a third party from profiling me and what I believe in because each browser is like a walled separation. It becomes hard to see who I actually am and what can be attributed to me. This is not a perfect solution but destroys the tracking that is expected from a normie and is simple to implement. In order to not get confused, I actually have bookmarks on each browser and that will remind me of the sites I've associated with each browser. I've used this technique for a very long time and I do it on both mobile and PC and it minimizes the privacy threat of browsers. Give it a try. I created a company to offer solutions to privacy instead of just talking about problems. The first important product is the D-Google phone. We were marketing the Brax 2 phone since last year, but that is now sold out. Right now, we have different models of Pixel phones, which are using Calyx OS. There is no Google on these phones, and there is no Google ID, so they are invisible to Google. Most apps will work just fine as long as they're not from Google. These phones are around $400, so much cheaper than a regular phone. I started a VPN service, Bytes VPN, years ago. The thing about a VPN service is that you have to trust the provider of the service. So some of you choose to trust some unknown corporation with some unknown affiliation. Here's a VPN service coming from someone you know. 
my face is attached to the service. Me and my staff support it directly. Definitely no logging and we do not block email. Check it out. We have worldwide coverage and we do not scam you with auto renewals. I created a Braxmail product from user requests of a stealthy email solution. The main claim to fame of our email product is that there's no metadata. We do not record IP addresses and ensure that IP addresses do not appear on your email headers. Thus, this provides you with a quiet way to gain privacy by not revealing where the messages come from. You get to use any of our seven domains, some of which are very obscure, and you can create unlimited aliases. Sign up quickly to use short usernames, which will be very popular for use with aliases. You can also use webmail, so no setup is required to use it. Just a normal browser will be fine. All these products are on the store on my app Braxme. Sign up on there. Don't worry, you will not be asked to give any personal information to sign up. Thank you for watching and see you again soon.